Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. Well, I want to talk about prayer this week and next week, and then uh, Pastor Ray will be up the week after that for church renewal, but it's January. It's our month of prayer and fasting. And uh, not that I just automatically slot in prayer for this, not at all. In fact, I was thinking of starting a, a different series. I've got a bunch of different uh, series swirling in my head for the year. And, and uh, I went to prayer last week, and, and I said, Lord, what are you, where, where do we want to go? And immediately, uh, the passage I want to read to you in just a moment came to my mind, as well as Elijah and the whole thing. And I said, okay, Father, then we talk about prayer again. And, uh, and I think it's important to talk about prayer and uh, do this regularly. But I have, I have one goal. I have one goal for this message. I 100% believe the things I'm about to preach to you. And I am praying. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I was in the prayer room praying for everybody that was going to be in the services this weekend in our four services. And I said, Lord, if some of that faith could just rub off, that if you would plant seeds of faith, that at the end of this message, I am praying that you will be filled with faith to go to God and bring your desires and your needs and wants to him. I really feel, I feel like this weekend, God is inviting you through me to come to him and to pray, and he's going to do great things in your life. So I want to start, I want to, I want to read seven verses from uh, James chapter 5. And James is going to reference a very, story, a very famous story uh, about Elijah in the Old Testament, and we're going to go there as well. Um, but we're going to spend all of our time in James and in Kings today. But uh, let me read this to you first, uh, first James. <laughs> there is only one James. Uh, just checking if you're awake. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And James says this. Then we'll pray and we'll get into this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him pray too. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Bow your heads with me, and let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this. Heavenly Father, I feel like this weekend you want to invite everyone here today. You want to invite them through me to come to you. Uh, I'm just the messenger. I'm just giving them the message, but you want to invite them to come to you this week and bring all their burdens and problems and desires and dreams. And Lord Jesus said, you're going to work powerfully in response to our prayers. And that's what I pray will come across this morning. And that's what I pray that you would give, give us faith, a faith that sustains and a faith that lasts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's just work our way through James chapter 5 here shall we? All right? And just piece by piece, let's go through it. So verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And again, as I speak, this is the fourth service now, two yesterday, two today. And how many of you are going through stuff? Yesterday during the worship time, I was kind of looking around and many of you I know, and uh, I just see person after person carrying stuff, things we're going through. Most of us here have stuff that we're going through. 
different levels, varying levels. James has one piece of advice. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's his advice. Let him pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let me go to the next line. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So also let him pray. So if anyone among you is suffering, if anyone among you is going through a hardship or struggling with something, James says to you this morning, he says, pray. But if anyone among you is not suffering and actually everything is good and you're cheerful, James says, I also have a piece of advice for you, pray. So if you're suffering, pray. And if you're not suffering, pray. And I want you to notice there, I've underlined the anyone's in those statements is anyone. This is not just for the, you know, the, the, spiritual, the spiritual elite, the preachers, the teachers, the intercessors, you know, those ones that we sort of lift up on a pedestal. Oh, those are the ones they pray, but for us regular people. No, 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 no. Anyone who bears the name of Christ, anyone who bears the name Christian, who has a relationship with Jesus, is anyone among you suffering, pray. But if anyone among you is not suffering, also pray. In all circumstances, pray. Pray. Now, why is that? I'll tell you something very important. And why it's so important that we pray. Christianity is not a class. It's a relationship. Christianity is not a class. It is a relationship. You know, there's many, many discipleship materials out there. And many have been produced over the last number of decades. And, and really good stuff. Lots of really good stuff. But one of the things you'll notice with a lot of discipleship materials out there right now in the West is it's lots and lots of lessons on doctrine, which, by the way, is very important. Doctrine is super important. What we believe is important. Having proper theology, we teach doctrine here and theology. Very, very important. What you'll notice in these discipleship materials is lots of doctrine, lots of lessons on what you need to believe, and then one or two lessons on prayer. Like, and they'll be good lessons. You need to pray, you have a prayer life, a couple of verses, but then they move on back to doctrine. As if prayer is just another doctrine that you've got to know. So you've got all these things you've got to know, and prayer is just another thing you've got to know. And, but the truth of the matter is, prayer is supposed to be central to everything we do, that as we learn all the doctrines, we are in prayer, because Christianity is not a class, it is a relationship. When we stand before Jesus on Judgment Day, there's not an entrance exam at the gates of heaven that if you pass the theology test, you're in. Again, I'm not putting down theology or doctrine. Don't hear me saying that. Theology and doctrine are, very, are critical for the church, and we have to believe correctly. But at the gates of heaven, it's not a theology test to get into heaven. It's did you know Jesus relationally? Christianity is not a class. It is a relationship, which means that the mark of every true believer, anyone who has been truly born again, the mark of a believer will be a life of prayer. has to be. Because how can you have a relationship with someone if you don't talk to them and listen to them, if there's not some kind of communication? Of course, I know when I, when I say something like that, I know some of you will immediately, there's guilt complex, there's inferiority, because you feel like you don't have a good prayer life, and you compare yourself to others, and it's like, well, that person prays hours and hours and hours, and they pray these great prayers, and they get amazing things when they pray from God and all sort of stuff. And of course, uh, the, you know, God knows, Jesus knows, he, we're all different. Every single one of us is different. Different temperament, different giftings. And a prayer life, every prayer life is going to be different. There's as many different kinds of prayers as there are people. 
And so some are more practical prayers, some are more flowery prayers, some are go out for a drive prayers, some are get out in nature prayers, some are longer prayers, some are a little bit shorter prayers, there's, there's no question, there's many different kinds of prayers. But the mark of every true believer, I, I don't want you to miss this, the mark of every true believer, anyone who is truly born again, one of the marks of their life will be a life of communication with Jesus, because that's what Christianity is, it isn't a class, it's a relationship. So James says, is anyone among you suffering? Pray. And is anyone among you cheerful? Pray. God wants us to share our whole lives with him, right? He wants us to share our whole lives, the negative bits, the positive bits. We're going to talk to him, okay? And then he goes on, verse 14. So just in case every circumstance in our life hasn't been covered by are you suffering and are you not suffering, he adds a third circumstance when we need to pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're not suffering, pray. If you're sick, get the elders of the church around you and pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This reminds me of what James is talking about here, about pray all the time, pray in all circumstances. Reminds me a lot of a famous statement by Paul in Thessalonians where Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Now, of course, many of us over the years, we've gone across that line, pray without ceasing, and for many Christians, that has triggered another guilt complex, another bout of condemnation. Pray without ceasing. We have this idea in our heads of that means I have to have my Bible open and my journal out, and I'm in devotions for hours and hours and hours a day. That's not pray without ceasing. This should not conjure up in our minds a picture of being, having devotions with our Bibles and, and pen and paper for hours and hours in a day, what Paul is talking about here is if you're born again, then you have a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, then you're in communion with him. You're in communication with him throughout the day, constantly, as you walk in the Spirit. In the middle of the day, as you go to work, there's times you just call out to him, Jesus, I need help. What are you saying to me right now? And you're thanking him on the drive to work. Not that you're always, always at every moment, but there's many times as you drive home or as you drive to work and you praise him and you thank him, pray without ceasing because Christianity is not a class. It is a relationship. It's not about coming to church once a week. It's not about just knowing all the correct doctrines, as important as those things are, very important, but it is a relationship. So whether when you're suffering, this is just what you do. This is James's advice. It's not complicated. It's not five steps. It's if you're suffering, pray. And if you're not suffering, pray. And if you're sick, pray. And then Paul comes in and he says, pray without ceasing. This is the mark of a Christian. When you're born again, we talk to God. We listen to God. We have communication with God. Now, the question is, why? What's the motivation? Why should we pray when we're suffering? Why should we pray when we're sick? Why should we pray without ceasing? Well, there's, there's many reasons. We can't look at all of them. And certainly, one of the most important reasons is just to know God. It's just to have a relationship with Him. Just the greatest end of humankind, the greatest goal is to know Him. To know Him is the greatest reward. So one reason we talk to Him, certainly no question. One reason that we need to pray is just to know Him. That's what heaven's all about. That's what eternity's all about. To know Him is the greatest reward. But that's not the reason James talks about in this passage. And so we're not going to talk about that one. We're not going to talk about the other ones. We're just going to talk about James has one reason why we should pray. So James says, when you're suffering, pray, and when you're sick, pray. And in the very next verse, he gives us the motivation. Why should we pray? 
Why should we pray without ceasing? Why should we pray when we're suffering? And so we bring up verse, verse 15, and James says this, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So James gives us the reason why we need to pray. Why should we pray when we're suffering? And why should we pray when we're sick? Because it works. That's why. Because it works. Look at James's absolute confidence. This is why you pray when you're suffering. This is why you pray when you're sick. Because if you do, the Lord will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and the one who has committed sins will be forgiven. Will, will, will. James is utterly, absolutely confident that if we pray, the Lord will work. Now, just take a moment here. Obviously, we know we don't take this passage all by itself, forget about the rest of the Bible, and apply it like some cheap two-dimensional sticker on every situation, on every circumstance, on every person's life, and say, anyone who prays will automatically be healed of everything, will automatically, everything will turn out good. Absolutely, we know from many other scriptures that people still do get sick, we die, we suffer, all those sorts of things. We've got to have this in a balanced theology. But at the same time as we realize that, we have to wrestle with the absolute confidence of James, who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the absolute confidence of James. You need to pray because when you pray, the Lord will answer. And so many times he will heal and he will do the great things we ask. But even in those times where he decides not to heal, if we pray, he will still act and respond. It may not be exactly what we ask, but in those cases it's because he's got something bigger and better in mind. So if you're suffering here today, pray. And if you're sick, pray. And if you're cheerful, pray. Why? Because if you pray, the Lord will work. The Christian life is supposed to be marked. Our lives should be marked regularly by fresh moves of God and fresh answers to prayer. Look what James says next. He's going to continue to press this point home throughout this passage. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let these words sink in. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The Greek phrase there translated great power here in the ESV uh, can also be translated means accomplishes much. So James says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and accomplishes much. Why should you pray? Why should you pray when you're suffering? Why should you pray when you're in hardship? Why should you pray when you're sick? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power and accomplishes much. The Lord will work. Now, of course, I know that even as I say that again, there's a lot of you subconsciously, there's this inferiority complex, there's this, there's this sense of condemnation many Christians carry around with them. You read this passage, you see the prayer of a righteous person, and you pull yourself out of that category. That's, again, that's for the leaders of the church, that's for the intercessors, that's for prayerful people who spend hours and hours in prayer all the time, and it's not for regular Joes like, like me. That's what you might think. Like, I, I'm more a practical person, I work with my hands, I don't know as much about the Bible, so I'm not included in that. No, 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 no. In the context of this, of, this, of this passage, the righteous person is just anyone who confesses their sins so as long, and, and has Jesus in their life. 
if you have asked Jesus into your life and you're not hiding sin, like that's, that's it. It's not like you have to be all neurotic, like if I confess all my sins. No, 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 no. The point is, as long as, if you name yourself by the name of Jesus, you have asked Jesus into your life and you're following him and you're just, you're not intentionally trying to hide sin, then you are the righteous person. You are. Because Jesus' blood has made you righteous. Not because you earned it, but Jesus' blood has made you righteous. You're not hiding sin. You're the righteous person in this verse. So you're the person that James says, your prayer has great power and accomplishes much. Okay? The if there is, if you're praying. If you're praying. And of course, James knew that some of us were going to have this inferiority complex. James knew that some of us were going to say, well, I'm just a regular person. So he's going to press this point even further. In the very next verse, he says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, the prophet Elijah was a regular person just like you and me, okay? So James is going to push this point home now. He's like, I'm not, because hey, in James' day, people, I mean, human beings haven't changed that much, right? We struggle with the same things from century to century, millennium to millennium. And, and James knew that some of you were going to have inferiority. You're going to think, it's not my prayers. Somebody else's prayers are powerful, but my prayers aren't powerful. And James says, now I, I'm actually going to push this one home now. I'm going to tell you an example of someone whose prayers are powerful. But before you write this example off, I want you to know that Elijah was a regular person just like you and me. And by the way, in this one line, Elijah is tearing down some of the subconscious walls we put up when we read the Old Testament. See, many of us, we love to read the Old Testament. In, in one sense, we love to read the Old Testament because it's got cool stories. So we like to read the stories of Moses and, and David and Elijah and and because they're cool stories and people die and there's adventure and, and all that sort of stuff, right? So maybe it's not the death that, that turns us on, but it's just there's cool stuff in there, right? And miracles. And, and, uh, and so on, in one sense, we like the Old Testament because cool stories. But in another sense, when we read the Old Testament, there's a wall there. Subconsciously, there's a wall that we put a distance. There's like a big canyon between us and what we're reading because we read that Old Testament and we think, that was God moving in power. God moved in power back then, but he doesn't do that now. And he did that for them, but he doesn't do that for us. It's, those were special people at a special time. He did great things back then, but little old us in Steinbach now, 2017, he doesn't work that way. So we read the Old Testament and we kind of go, well, that's neat. And, it, you know, God is God. He did miracles, but, and he, did, he worked in power in response to prayer, but he doesn't really do that now. James is going gonna, is gonna to tear that wall down. With this one little statement, he is tearing that wall down. He's saying, not just about for Elijah, but for all the Old Testament characters you read, he's going to say, you are not allowed to use that excuse. I will not let you off the hook that easily. Because he's, he's, he's preaching a message to us that prayer is powerful, so you need to pray. And now he's going to use an Old Testament example, but he says, I don't want you to have this wall that that was then and that was them and it's not now and it's not us. He's saying, no, 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 no. As we talk about this story now, you have to remember one thing, that Elijah was a regular person just like you and me, which means that we're going to learn from Elijah that prayer is powerful and God works even for our prayers. So Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Incidentally, I, I got an idea just while I was preaching this message uh, last night, and I thought to myself, I'm going to add a new prayer and fasting request to my card, and that is that it will not get cold here for three years and six months. <laughs> then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, 
and the earth bore its fruit. So you know what we're going to do now? We're going to actually go over to the story in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And I'm going to read you a big chunk of, of 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're just going to go through this uh, story of Elijah. But we're going to, because James is pointing us back to Elijah. James is telling us, go back to Elijah and get some faith for your prayer life. Okay? But as we read this Elijah story now, I don't want you just to enjoy it in the sense that you've always enjoyed it, that it's a cool story. It's a famous story. He's going to call down fire. He's going to call down rain. Really cool stuff. But we're not supposed to. Now we're going to read this with the James lens. That this is for regular people to read and to know that when we pray, God will also work. So, I was going to say Elijah chapter 17. No, no, this is in Kings. Uh, 17 verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, who is a wicked king, bad man, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, James fills in some blanks in this story. This, the story doesn't tell us in this first part of the story that Elijah prayed for it to stop raining. But James fills in blanks and he says that Elijah didn't just tell Ahab it wasn't going to rain. He actually prayed fervently then that it wouldn't rain and that, that's when the rain stopped, Okay. Now we're going to fast forward one chapter. We're going to go to chapter 18. We're going to fast forward there, and we're fast forwarding three years, okay? So three years after Elijah said it's not going to rain, we come to 18 verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria because it hasn't rained in three years, okay? Skip ahead a few verses. Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now remember again, we are not going to read this story the way we've always read it. We're going to read it with James's lens. Elijah is a regular guy, just like you and me. That's how we're reading this story. That's how James has pointed us to this story, so that we would read it that way. Verse 20, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, all the important people, all the leaders of the people, the leaders of the tribes, the, leaders of the, the heads of the families, the religious leaders and the prophets of Baal. He, just, he gets them all together on the top of Mount Carmel, all the important people. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now I want you to notice how outnumbered Elijah is. He's a regular guy. He's 450 to 1, but it's more than 451. He's outnumbered. The whole culture has gone idolatrous. The king and queen, the government is against him. The religious people are against him. He's utterly outnumbered. And remember, we're supposed to be reading this with the glasses of, we're supposed to be putting ourselves in this story. He's a regular man, just like you and me. I wonder how many of us today, whether it just be in our work, in our job, in our environment, in some of our struggles, feel completely outnumbered outnumbered by our culture, outnumbered by the people, outnumbered by the circumstances, outnumbered by the powers that be, but we feel outnumbered, that these problems can't be overcome. Elijah is utterly outnumbered. He's just a regular person like you and me. So what's this regular guy going to do? Well, verse 23, let two bulls be given to us, 
and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood but put no fire to it. Now, of course, time out for just a moment. God never works the same way twice. I'm not about to go and put two altars up on, uh, you know, Abe's Hill and, and call a sacrifice meeting, uh, you know, us and the heads of the culture in Manitoba and everything and, and do all that, right? He works in different ways. But notice that these people desperately need to see evidence of God, work, God's power working through a regular person, just like the culture today around us needs to see evidence of God's power working in answer to prayer in regular people. They needed it then, they still need it now. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Like Elijah's saying, you, you people need to see God answer some prayers. And people today need to see Christians who are not just going through life like everybody else, but who actually their lives are marked by a joy in struggle, by a joy in suffering, because they utterly believe that God is in control and God is working in their life with fresh answers to prayer. And he's at work in their lives doing things. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Now, this next part is my favorite part. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, I love this, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, he's off thinking somewhere, or he is relieving himself. <laughs> That's good. Or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And is that not a sad statement, too, about our culture? It raves and it rants and it seeks and it searches. But in the end, all of these people in our culture, there's no one there to answer them or help them. That's why they need to see Christians where the power of God is at work in our lives. Evidence of God. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So there had been an altar to Yahweh, the, the one true God on the top of this mountain, and, but it had fallen into disrepair. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. You know, there's actually uh, ancient sources that speak of uh, in, in ancient Middle East there that there were priests sometimes who would, they would fake fire coming down from heaven. And they would have these altars and they'd have, you know, these ingeniously cut tunnels and, and make use of funnels and stuff. They would actually hide fire beneath the altar and then they would pretend to call fire down and, the, and the, the sacrifice would be lit on fire and people would be deceived. And so it may be here that Elijah is specifically thinking of that and proving to everyone there's no hidden fire. He's making sure that everybody knows this is not, this is not a fake. And they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, oh, and I want you to notice how simple his prayer is. It's not complicated. It's not long-winded. It's just a simple prayer from a regular guy just like you and me. 
O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell. Remember what James said? The prayer of a righteous person has great power and accomplishes much. And he uses this example. Then the fire of the Lord fell from another guy just like you and me and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And now we get to the part specifically that James talks about in James 5. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. Remember in, eight, in chapter 18, verse 1, at the beginning of this chapter, uh, God told Elijah, I'm going to send I'm, I'm going to send rain. Now, what's interesting to me is how, how Elijah is going to behave next. This is very interesting to me. Because you just think about it. Think about what's happened in this, in this story so far. I mean, Elijah has already called down fire. Uh, I, I skipped a little part there where he goes down. They go down, and, and, and not because it's bad, but just, uh, just for time and everything. But he, he, they go down to the river. They slaughter all the prophets of Baal and, and Asherah. So it's been a long day. Okay, the calling down fire, the mocking of the prophets of Baal, the slaughtering of the prophets of Baal, and now uh, finally we're at the, you know, the good part, and you know, God's going to send rain, and so he tells Ahab, you go kick up your feet and relax, okay? You go up, eat and drink. And if I'm Elijah, that's what I'm going to go do. Like, in fact, Ahab, you're going to have some good food, probably better than me. How about I come with you, and you feed me too? Like, I, yeah, it's been a long day's work. It's time to kick up my feet and relax. And that is not what Elijah does. It's what Ahab does. You see the next verse. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. The godless king, he goes up and he relaxes, but not Elijah. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. That's called prayer. This is the part James was talking about in James 5 when he said Elijah prayed fervently that it might not rain and then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So now the question is, why? Why has Elijah gone up to pray? God has already promised he's going to send rain. So why does Elijah have to go back up to the top of Mount Carmel to put his face between his knees and pray fervently that's going to rain? I'll tell you something. Elijah knows something about God that many of us have lost today. Elijah knows something about God and about prayer. This whole story is an attack on kind of the spiritual sounding complacency that infects so many Christians today, where many Christians today have this phrase, and it's based on a truth, but in our complacency, we've turned it into something where it's really just a lack of faith. And many Christians today will say things like, well, I'm, I, you know, God's just going to turn it all out. God's going to work it all out for good. And for many of us, what that really means is I'm actually too tired and too lazy and too complacent to really pursue God in prayer about this thing. I don't, for whatever my reasons are, I, I'm too busy with stuff in this world. I, I just can't work up a prayer life. I'm whatever. But to actually pursue God in prayer, so instead what I fall back on is I just think I encourage myself and others by just saying, well, you know what, I'm just trusting God. He's just going to work it all out in the end. Somehow this situation I'm in, he's going to work it out. So I'm going to go back to my hockey game. 
you know, situation I'm in. He's going to work it all out, so I'm just going to go back to whatever it is, reading my book, and God's going to work it out. Now, well, first of all, there is a truth there. There's no question. Uh, is God sovereign, and is he good, and is he working things? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. There are many things in my personal life and in our lives that he has done and will do without you ever praying for them. I mean, there's many blessings. I can look at in my life things I never thought to pray for, things where I was going through a prayerless season in my life. I did not in any way deserve them at all, and yet he still surprised me with these things and blessed me with these things. And you just go, praise you, Jesus. There are many things in each of our lives that God has done even though we never prayed and we never thought to pray or we weren't prayerful or whatever. There are many things God will do. And there's many huge things in the world that we'll not know that he's doing until Jesus comes back that not a single Christian on earth ever prayed for. He's sovereign. He's good. He is working things out for his purposes. But having said that, this idea that he's just going to work it all out and I can just go back to my lazy complacency because he's just going to work it all out and kind of this idea that God's just going to do what he's going to do, this story is an attack on that kind of faithless complacency. And what Elijah shows us here is that there are some things. Why does James tell us to pray when we're suffering and to pray when we're sick? Because there's some things God won't do unless you pray them through. And this is not a fear thing. I, I really want to stress that point. There's always people in a congregation like this that they'll take all these things flipped and they'll take it from a position of fear. And so what Chris is saying is that I've got to be really fearful now and scared because if I didn't pray for my kids to be safe today, God might not keep them safe. Like if I didn't pray over my child today before they got on the school bus, they could get in an accident and die and God's not going to take care of them because they didn't pray. That's not what I'm teaching here. The, the, the purpose of this story is not to teach us, or what James is saying is not to teach us fear that if I don't pray something, God's not going to take care of us. That's not the point. The point is to engage something in our hearts, that there are big things we desire God to do that if we don't press into them and grab a hold of them and go for it with prayers of faith, yes, there are things like that that he won't do unless we pray. So God said, I'm going to send rain. But Elijah doesn't just go back, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. That's what God wants to do. Actually, there's some things God wants to do and has prophesied that he's going to do, but unless someone goes up on Mount Carmel and puts their face between their knees and prays fervently that he's going to do it, he won't do it. So Elijah goes up, and he prays. And he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, so the servant goes, there is nothing. So Elijah goes up, gets up, and goes, well, I tried that. I guess I'm just resigned to living without rain. No. But isn't that what we often do? You know, I prayed about that situation, you know, a couple, couple of prayer and fasting years, you know, a couple years ago in prayer and fasting month. I did a couple of those and I did a few fasts and it just didn't happen. So now God's just going to do what he's going to do. I'm just going to live with it. That's not what Elijah said. The servant comes back and says, I don't see anything. It's bone dry. Three years without rain and it's still bone dry. There's not a cloud in the sky. So Elijah puts his face back between his knees. Obviously, he was a little bit flexible. I would struggle with that. But, uh, <laughs> and prays fervently, God, send rain. Send rain. Second time. Send the servant back. Do you see anything? Nothing. Again, Elijah does not get up and go, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. He does not do that. He prays fervently a third time and a fourth time 
And a fifth time, it says seven times he just pursues and goes after God. I'm coming after you, Lord. I'm coming after you. I want that rain that you've promised. I want that rain that you've promised. And on the seventh time, the servant's going to come back and he's going to say, I I saw a cloud the size of a fist, just a tiny little cloud. And Elijah says, run, right? Run. At the seventh time, he said, the servant comes back, right? Verse 44, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. See, God's not just going to do what God's going to do. Yes, he's sovereign and good, and we worship him for that, and that's a whole different message. And there are things he'll do far beyond what you'd ever think to pray, and I thank him for that, and I love that about him, and it makes me trust him. But there are other things, and this is the thing that gets us up in the morning early to pursue him, is that there are other things. See, one of the reasons I think that a lot of people don't have a motivation to pray is many of us just think of it as kind of useless, and there's nothing we human beings like less than something that's just useless. Useless. If it's not fun, if it's not doing anything, then why am I doing it? So we don't have the motivation to set our alarm clock half an hour early or 45 minutes early to really pursue God about something because we just think, really, he's going to do what he's going to do. But actually, he's not just going to do what he's going to do. And if this truth would just grab hold of your heart, there'd be a light of motivation that would come under your prayer life that actually... If I set my alarm a little early and I really pursue him about, about this marriage that I'm in, about this spouse, about my kid, about the situation I'm in, actually, he could send rain. He would send rain and he would send fire. He would do great things in my life. See, God is inviting us this weekend. He's inviting us to come to us with our stuff. And, that, and this all has to do with relationship. God, there are things he won't do in your life unless you ask him because he wants you to come to him because he loves you and he wants you to know the joy of coming to him and him to get the joy of providing for us. Jesus says this in John chapter 16, verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Now look at this. What? an amazing promise. Ask and you will receive. I want you to notice that. Ask and you, some of you need to go into your Bibles and underline this, this line. Ask and you will receive. Not you might receive. Anybody who comes to God like Elijah does and doesn't just get up at the first time. See, if Elijah stops after prayer number one, does he get one-seventh of the rain? He gets zero. If he stops after time number two, does he get two-sevenths of the rain? He does not. He gets zero. See, there's a kind of prayer. There are things God won't do unless you pray, and there are things God won't do unless you press in and pray with faith. And part of what it means to pray with faith is to be like Elijah, which is like, I'm not coming down off this mountain until you come through. And Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Now, you will. Again, there are some things we will not escape all suffering. We will not escape all sickness. And we will all die. And there's things that we will not escape in this world. But for some of us, that's a reason to not pray. Well, I just think, you know, God's not going to do it. He's going to do it. No, 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 no. Even in those cases, and often he will shock us. If we go up on Mount Carmel and put our face between our knees and pray, he will surprise us how many times he will do miracles in our lives, exactly the things we ask for. But even in the times where he says, in this case, I'm not going to do exactly what you said. In every case, he says you will receive. That just means then he's going to give you something different. And when God gives you something, it's never worse than what you asked for. 
Ask and you will receive. But this is for those who ask in the same way that Elijah asked, where it's not just, I get up after the first one, well, I tried that once, and I'm done. No, 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 there's a, there's a prayer of faith that, that presses in. And so Jesus says, and when you ask that, like that, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is supposed to be a source of tremendous happiness and joy in the Christian life. That your joy may be full. Because you know why? We, I mean, there's, it, there is something about the God of the universe. We can't see him with our physical eyes. But then you talk to him about some stuff, but, you're, and, but you can't see him with your physical eyes. And then in the physical world, you see him moving in response to your prayers, mind-blowing. It's like, he's actually real. He actually listens to me. He actually loves me. It's incredible. I got to experience it a little bit again this past week. This past, you know, this January, uh, I've written out, I got my, my list. I actually have a few different lists. I got lots of things I'm praying for. But on my, my main list in my Bible that I got right here in the, in the back of my Bible, I got my list of memory verses and promises. And then on the back, I've got written my, my uh, big six prayer requests for 2017, my personal ones I really care about and I really want. And I'm desiring, and I say, Lord, I want you to do great things in my life. And, and so this last week, I, I started my first fast. And I don't know about all about you, but some of you probably think, well, he preaches up on stage. He's preaching about prayer today. He just, this, he, this guy just loves to pray. He gets up every morning. He just loves to pray. He loves to fast. He's just a spiritual guy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm more regular even than Elijah, okay? So Elijah's a regular person like you and me. I'm, I'm more regular even than Elijah. And, and after the, the month of, of, of binging, which is called December, uh, I, I really, to be honest, this year was not, was not looking forward to prayer and fasting. It was just kind of, oh, you know, self-control and being hungry and ah, praying all the time, yeah. I wasn't looking forward to it. But, I, you know, I've got my list of six things, and those things I want to see God do stuff. And since last Tuesday, I started my first, my first fast and, of the month, and, and Tuesday went fine. You know, it was a fine day. But I woke up Wednesday morning, and I just, I felt, I just felt like I don't want to pray. I'm already hungry. I'm distracted. And, and I, I share this with you only to emphasize to you what, what I'm going to tell next. It has nothing to do with how spiritual I am. See, the stories about Elijah, the stories we share up here on stage, has nothing to do with some of you, well, because they're spiritual. It's not because we're spiritual. I was ungrateful. And, and ungrateful and, and not feeling prayerful and all those sorts of things. You know, see, we have these categories that God looks at as spiritual, not spiritual. No, no. You are a child of God. I'm a child. You've asked Jesus in your life, you're a child of God. There's not categories with him, spiritual and unspiritual. Here's my unspiritual ones. I don't really do anything for them. Here's my spiritual ones. I love to do stuff for them. There are no categories like that. I got, I got four kids. I don't have categories with my four kids, uh, spiritual, unspiritual. You know, that one I love, that one I don't love. I, I mean, there are times when I, when I feel like I don't love them very much for a little bit, but just, it goes away, right? And then it comes back and I like them again. But I don't have categories. This one I don't like, that one I like, whatever. They're, they're all my kids. They came out of Ladon's body, and because of that, that's my wife, and because of that, they're just my kids, Okay. And the same is true for all of you, okay? Not that you came from Ladon's body. That's, a, that's <laughs> no, you didn't, okay? But in, in, terms of, in terms of you are, you are Jesus' kids, if you've asked Jesus into your life, it, it's not spiritual and spiritual with him. He just sees kids. So I wasn't spiritual. I wasn't grateful. So I had a little prayer time. I was backstage there in the morning, right back, in, back there. Sometimes I go there just to be alone and, 
and I'm, what am I going to pray about it? Nah, I just thought, well, I'll be thankful. The Bible tells us to be thankful, and so I'll try and be thankful. And you, you ever been there? And so you're just being thankful because you have to. So you, you throw out all the old ones you're thankful for whenever you're not really thankful. And, and uh, you know, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, and I should be thankful for that, but I'm really not. But thank you, and thank you for these big things, and thank you. And all of a sudden, as only the Holy Spirit can do, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we're in a good place. Without him doing anything in our lives, we would just be nothing. And all of a sudden, those of you who walk with the Lord, you know what this is like. There's just times where it's like scales fall from your eyes and things you couldn't see a moment ago, suddenly they become clear. And suddenly in that moment on, on, on Wednesday morning, I suddenly saw four things from the day before, four specific distinct things from three of my biggest prayer requests, three of my big ones here on this sheet of paper, that I, Lord, I want to see you do this. And he did not, not that he, they were answered. No, no, there's a long way to go. There's long, you know, in some of these prayers, there's lots, lots to happen yet. But he showed me, just in that moment, scales, things I couldn't, in the flesh and in my ingratitude, I couldn't see them. But all of a sudden, the scales fell. He showed me four things he had done the day before that were direct, distinct movements. It's like, I'm praying about this. Oh, this really neat thing. Wow. And the prayer's not nearly answered. But this really neat thing. I, God, you're listening. And I saw four things. I, was, I just started scrolling them down. And suddenly, in my heart, welled up such unbelief from completely, I don't want to pray, I'm not very grateful, I'm just feeling hungry, and all of a sudden, I'm scrolling things down. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my ingratitude. He gave me four distinct things he was doing in answer to three of my big prayer requests. And I said, oh Lord, my joy is full. It's not just a happiness he's, when he says there that your joy may be full. That's not just a little bit of happiness. The kind of joy you get when you realize the God of the universe here, you had, that's a private conversation I had with him. Nobody else was praying those things. Private conversation that I had with him and suddenly I look and he's already doing things in the real world. Mind blow. It's a kind of joy that actually makes you full. I actually actually forgot about my hunger for an hour or two and then I came back because <laughs> I'm a regular person just like you and it's not about being super spiritual or liking to fast or any of those sorts of things it's just about being a child of God and the prayer of a righteous person I'm a righteous person that's not me bragging because you're righteous you're righteous because of Jesus not because you've earned it the prayer of a righteous person has great power and accomplishes much has great power and accomplishes much. And it's a joy to have him answer our prayer requests. So I want to finish this message by just talking about two hurdles. Why? And, and there's many more. Really, there's lots and lots. I just, this is not exhaustive. I just want to talk about two. Why is it that so many of us don't have fresh? Fred, why don't we experience this joy? Jesus invited us. He said, ask, come and ask, and you will receive that your joy may be complete. And James says, prayer of a righteous person has great power and accomplishes much. So why is, these are, these are incredible deals. Like, we're Mennonites, we love deals. <laughs> so why are we not going to the store and picking up for free this amazing stuff? Okay, I'll tell you two hurdles. Why many believers do not experience fresh moves of God in their lives. Two hurdles that keep us from doing First one is this, number one, what I call lack of imagination and dreaming, hoping with God. Here's what I mean. Let me explain that. A lot of Christians today, you ask them, What's, what, what big things are you praying? What's your big prayer request right now? So you just ask them. Just ask them in the lobby or whatever. What big things are you praying right now? And it's like this. It's, uh, uh, mm, uh, uh, mm. And you don't really have a, and it's like, 
you don't have big things. You don't have big things you're desiring from God right now. You have nothing big you're asking from God. So in other words, what you're telling me is your life is totally perfect. That's what you're telling me. You have nothing you're asking from God. Well, so your marriage must be heavenly. Must be heavenly. Your kids are like raging full of the Holy Spirit and love and joy and godly in every way and, and living amazing. That's amazing. And you are just full of the love of God and the presence and full of joy and you don't have stress and anxiety because you don't have anything you're asking God. Your life must be heaven. Or else you just have an utter lack of imagination and dreaming with God to actually bring your desires to him. I had an interesting email conversation with a really good friend of mine, a really good friend of mine here at the church, and uh, I asked his permission to share this, so it's, he, he gave me permission. Um, but uh, I, we had, he sent me an email, something about it, I forget how it started, and then somehow it got to, I, I just asked him the question, uh, what big things are you praying for this, this month, prayer and fasting month, what big things are you praying for? And he writes me back and he says, well, I'm, I'm kind of waiting on the Lord to, to see what I should be asking him, and, and he just hasn't given me anything yet. Okay, now again, and I, asked, and I love this guy. We had a lot of fun with this email exchange. And, uh, but doesn't that just sound so spiritual? And actually, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because I've had this conversation with several people in the church this month, and it's like, I'm, I'm doing listening prayer, and, but what I should pray for, and I'm not getting anything. And it just sounds so spiritual. But you know, it's actually just weird. How, let, me, let me put it to you this way. And by the way, there is a place. Let me just time out for more. There is a place to ask God what are his desires. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a place where we say, Lord, it's not about me today. I want to hear your desires. I want to get on page with your, your thoughts and your feelings. But let me ask you this. Those of you with kids, okay, how many of you want your kids to come to you to ask you what they should want for Christmas, okay? Now, actually, yesterday, someone yelled out, you know, amen. They actually did want that. Okay? But when it comes to Christmas, so that's unhealthy people that think that way. But um, um, when, when my kids, I don't want them to come to me to say, Dad, what should I want for Christmas? I love my kids. I want to know what they want. Now, I don't have unlimited resources. I can't get them everything they want. But because I love them, I don't want to tell them what they should want. I want to know what they want. I mean, how many of you have ever been in a relationship where the other person never has an opinion or a desire. They just always paired it back to you. So you ask them, well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. What do, what do you want to do? <laughs> well, I'm asking you because I like you. You're my friend or I'm dating you or whatever. I'm married to you maybe. And um, so I kind of want to know you. What do you want? Well, I don't know. What do you want? Well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Like, what, am I just in a relationship with myself here? <laughs> like, that's weird. I... I want to know you. I'm hanging out with you today because it's you. I'm not just hanging out with myself. I want to hang out with myself. I'll go home and hang out with myself. <laughs> so I want to know you. I want to know what you desire, a healthy relationship. Now, some of you are really controlling people. You might actually like a relationship like that for a little while. That's a whole other message, okay? But, uh, but if you're in a healthy relationship, you want to know what, and yes, again, there's a place for us to say, God, what are your desires? And yes, in a mature relationship, we're going to ask him that sometimes. But actually, God wants to know what are your desires. Not, I'm going to come to you and you tell me what my desires are. God says, I want you to come to me with your desires. 
so that I can have the joy as a father of meeting your desires and you can have the joy of me meeting your desires. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. So I, I wrote my, my good friend, and we were having a lot of fun, and, and I talked to him again this morning, but I, I wrote him back an email and I just said, uh, I just gave him right off the top of my head. I didn't take hardly any time to, to think. I, I gave him three big ones right off the, the top. I just said, I wrote him back an email. I said, uh, like, so you don't, you don't have any desires for your marriage? Like, you don't want to have more understanding and romance and passion and joy and, and togetherness in your marriage? And I sent him back a second request, and I, and I said, and, and, and your kids, like, you don't have any big desires for your kids, that big, big things you want God to do and things you see in their life that they're struggling with that you want God to just move. And, and I said, and you don't have any desires in your own life, like, you want to have less stress and more joy and more of a sense of God's presence and more of a desire to pray. And, and, and I mean, if you don't have any desires for those things, your life is perfect. I'll send you my prayer request and you can pray for me. Because <laughs> I got desires. You know, if you've got a good marriage, why wouldn't you pray for a great one? I, I have a great marriage with my wife. I love, I get along with her so well. 15 years, it keeps getting better. But you know what? I'm praying for our marriage again this month because I'm not satisfied that we have a heavenly one. And some of you don't even have a great marriage. You don't even have a good one. You have a stinky marriage. You should be praying for a less stinky marriage. I'm serious. The forever righteous person has great power. But we just, we take this yoke and we think it's spiritual. Well, God's just going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to go through life miserable. Our culture needs to see something different than that. Christians who are overcoming. The forever righteous person has great power and accomplishes much. Second hurdle. So we don't just live our lives in resignation. By the way, there's a fire that's going to light. I actually believe this. You get into the Word of God. I actually believe this. This is not just I'm taking a couple of passages out of context and teaching you some obscure passage from Scripture, and this isn't a main storyline. Yesterday, I was in the, in the prayer room, again, praying for you guys, praying for people who are going to be at the services this weekend, and I just opened my Bible, and I always have four bookmarks in my Bible because I'm always reading in four different places, the Gospels, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Psalms, just so I'm constantly getting a balanced diet. And I was in a prayer room, and I just opened the Bible to my, to my Luke, where my, in the Gospels, where I was reading in Luke. So I, this wasn't made up. This had nothing to do with the message. I didn't know what was there. I just opened it up there, because I was going to pray for you guys, and I like to just start with a bit of Scripture. And I opened it up, and what's the teaching of Luke chapter 11? Jesus teaches about the, the, the person who needs a loaf of bread, and he goes to his friends in the middle of the night and knocks. And, uh, and he keeps knocking until he gets what he needs. And then he says this at the end of it. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? I'm not giving you an obscure teaching. I'm giving you a major invitation from the entire Bible. God says, come to me, Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If this grabs a hold, and I'm praying that it will, if, this, if a spark of faith grabs a hold of you, you're going to get some motivation for prayer. Because suddenly you're going to really realize anything in your life that's bothering you, anything in your life you're struggling with, there's stuff your spouse is going through, there's stuff your kids are going through, and you've, all you've been doing about it is worrying about it. And then suddenly something clicks. I, instead of just worrying about it, instead of just being bothered by it, instead of just being defeated about it and resigned to it, I could actually go talk to God about this. And he's a good father, and he loves me, and if I talk to him about it, he will do something. 
And that brings up a second hurdle, which is some of you have been under some major burden for so long, it's just overwhelmed you and you've given up hope. There's some specific situation in your life that is so problematic, that is so difficult, that is so big, you've just lost all hope. And so you've just resigned yourself, you have hope and faith, and you just think this is just how it's going to be and it's not going to change. I want you to remember again that James says in this chapter, for those, if any among you is suffering, pray. Pray. And not just a weak, tepid prayer, and then I'm just resigned to it. Verse 15, in the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith is the one that's going to save. The one that overcomes, it says, yes, this thing has gone on forever, and yes, it looks like it's going to continue to go on forever, but if I bring this to God, he is going to give me something, and my joy is going to be complete. I can overcome in this situation. Now, where are you going to get faith like that? Well, there's different places. You come to church service like this, and we talk on prayer, and we worship a little bit. We've got an amazing worship song at the end of this that just speaks to God's faithfulness. It's going to build your faith. You come out of a service like this, and many of you are going to go, I'm going to pray. Many of you are going to go, yes, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to pray. And it's going to last two or three or four or five days. And you know what's going to happen after that? Just like gravity always pulls us back to earth, the natural mind always pulls us back to doubt and unbelief. The natural mind, the flesh. You come to a church service, you get a little pumped up. Yes, God moves in answer to prayer. Then those are some amazing passages of Scripture. I'm glad I was reminded of those. You go home five days later, a week later, two weeks later. It's hard to pray again. Why? The natural mind, just like gravity always pulls us back to earth, the natural mind, the flesh always pulls us back to doubt and unbelief. So where do you get the kind of faith that sustains to push through things for months and for years? Like Elijah just stayed on Mount Carmel until I see that rain coming. Where do you get the faith that sustains? I'll tell you the main place, from the Word of God. The natural mind, like gravity, will always pull you back down to doubt and unbelief. This is how you counteract the flesh, the natural mind. You fill your mind with this and you get promises. You find promises in here and you underline them and you date them and then you pray them and you memorize them and you say them over and over again and you say, well, Chris, you're always talking about getting promises in the Word of God and I don't have any promises. Well, you just got yourself another prayer request. You just got yourself another prayer request. See, lack of imagination. You, you just haven't realized that you can bring everything to God. You can even bring your lack of promises to God. You need promises for your kids. You need promises for your marriage. You need promises for your spouse. You need promises for your situation that are from the Word of God, not just thoughts in your mind, but that they're right here. And You can stand on them, and you memorize them, and you date them, and you underline them, and you make the pages of your Bible on those pages. I just got a new one, but my old ones got places where the promises are, where there's just yellowish. I've gone back to them so many times. And they get all yellowish and gross. In fact, my, my brother looked at my, Bible, my old Bible just before I got this one. He's like, that's kind of gross. What happened to those pages? I said, I've been turning them. My Bible's not on the phone like some of you uh, techies, all right? So that's why you got to get a... No, that you can have your Bible on the phone. I won't preach about that. But um, <laughs> that's fine to have your Bible on your phone. But the point is, you got to get this word in you. So I want to just share with you one of my promises. Well, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me because it's in here. But I've shared a bunch of verses from this chapter already. It's one of the chapters of Psalms I memorized this last, uh, this last fall. Powerful. I've shared different verses from this chapter already with you in some other messages, but I'm just going to share some more because these aren't mine. They're mine, but they're, ever, they're, they're from the Word of God. Psalm 34. I just want to share with you three verses. But these are the kinds of things that build your faith, just as an example. But verse 4 of Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. You ever thought about that? 
I sought, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I have said this verse, I don't know how many times, prayed this verse, uh, recited it, meditated on it, I mean, dozens and dozens of times this fall. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You start to get a verse like that into you a little bit. You start to actually believe it. Like, this isn't just in the Bible. This, isn't, this is actually, for me, this is true. And then it says the next, the next verse. Those who look to him are radiant. In other words, even in the midst of their crazy circumstances and overwhelm, they are filled with joy. Remember what Jesus said? Your joy will be complete. Those who look to him are radiant. They're not beaten down and resigned. Those who are praying the prayer of faith, they're overcoming in the midst of it. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. In other words, they will never be disappointed. Anyone who prays with faith will not be disappointed because you will receive. Even if you don't end up receiving the very thing you prayed for, you'll end up receiving something better. Those who look to him will never be ashamed. They'll never be disappointed. And then it said, this poor man, oh, that's me. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. See, you've got to get into the word of God. You can take, you can take mine because they're not mine anyway. You can go to Psalm 34. You can just cheat. You need to pray. I've already given you an answer, right? There you go. But get into the word of God and you get those promises and it will sustain you. There is no trouble he can't rescue from. There's no problem he can't solve. No marriage he can't fix. No kid he can't change. The problem isn't the lack of God's power. It's the lack of our prayer. So I want to leave you with a weekly challenge. Two things. Two simple things. And both of them I will do with you. First one is I would encourage you to come to the prayer summit this Tuesday, day after tomorrow. You come to the prayer summit. I'm leading the summit this Tuesday, and we're going to pray. We're actually going to pray our way through a big chunk of Psalm 34. We're going to pray our way through a whole bunch of scripture. And we're going to take time, and we're going to lift up to God our biggest request, and we're going to do it together. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I'm scared to death. I've never been to a prayer summit. You know what? That is just a bad excuse not to come and get your prayers answered. We got, four, we got four staff every prayer summit at the info center out there that are just there to help people get seated who've never been here before. You come to the info center, you say, I've never been here before, I'll get seated, they'll help you. If they don't help you, you can come up here on stage and sit with me. Now that might scare you, you, you half to death, so, I'll, so maybe you don't want to sit with me, so, but you come up here, you come stand right there, and I'll personally help you find a seat. But don't miss praying together the prayer of a righteous person, but never mind where one or two of you are gathered together, the prayer of righteous people together. Great power. Wonderful results. But this Tuesday, we're going to lift up our big requests to God, and we're going to pray our way through Scripture. Second thing, I would encourage you, not as a guilt thing. When you fast, we do not fast to make God love us more. He doesn't love you more because you fast. We don't fast to become better Christians. It doesn't make you a better Christian. But fasting can be a wonderful way to help us focus in on, on our prayers, to get serious about coming after God, to go on to the top of Mount Carmel and say, Lord, I'm coming after you and I'm serious. I want to see movement in my big prayer request this year. I would encourage you to join me. I'll do, we'll do it together. Some of these things are just better done together than alone. And you join me, we'll fast together Tuesday. We'll be hungry at the prayer summit together. I was going to say hungry and miserable, but we won't be miserable because we're going to be worshiping and praying. It's going to be awesome. We'll, we'll do Tuesday to Thursday together. And you join me, drink lots of juice, and, uh, and uh, have off the food, and, and Thursday night we'll, we'll break it together. Not, you won't all be at my house, okay? 
I'm going to be at my house. You're going to be at your house. Just so we're not misunderstanding. And then we'll eat together like that, all right? Here's what I want to do to end this. We're going to sing an amazing song in just a moment. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I want to pray for you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to think. I want you to bring to mind right now, what's the, what's the biggest thing you want God to do this year? Maybe you can't narrow it down to one. Okay, you bring him two or three. He's an infinite God. I love that. I sometimes can't, I sometimes can't get it down to one. But I want, you to, I want you now to engage. Some of, you do, some of you, an hour ago, if I would have asked you what your biggest prayer request is, you would have said, um, you wouldn't have known. But I want you to engage your heart and your imagination and your mind. And I want you to think through your life. What are the things you need and desperately want God to do for you? And I want you to bring that into your mind now before I pray. What is it you want? What is it that you desperately want God to do? Maybe it's something for your kids. Maybe it's something to improve your marriage. I don't know what it is. Something in your character. Something with your job. Now don't be ashamed. Don't ask God, can I bring this to you? Just bring your desires. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Don't worry about whether it's a spiritual desire. Just bring him what's on your heart. I now want to pray for those things for you. Lord Jesus, we are lifting up to you right now many marriages, many kids, many job situations, many spouses, many kids, many character issues. We're lifting up to you big things. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you care about these things. And I thank you for your promise that if we ask, we'll receive. So we're asking you now for these spouses, for these marriages, for these kids in Jesus' name and these situations for you to move in power. Thank you for what you're going to do. And we pray all these things in your wonderful, precious, beautiful, amazing name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.